following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. <clears throat> Quick quiz. How many of those songs were psalms and which ones were hymns? And how about the spiritual songs? You don't remember. Yes, they're kind of all a blend. We're going to go with that because I don't remember either. Um, Just by way of uh, housekeeping, I want to remind you that uh, we have, I guess, officially begun a search for youth pastor here to join our family. Um, And we bring that to you as a family first uh, in case the Lord might uh, be... uh, calling someone within our own family to that work. Uh, We also will fling it out to the nations, I guess, see see what the Lord has for us. So please uh, just invite you to be in prayer uh, with us about that. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but our family is a little unique, and so maybe not everybody is used to a church like you guys. This is all your fault. Anyway... Well, over the last few weeks, we have been working our way through Colossians uh, chapter 3, and we're continuing that work. Uh, so you can turn there. We'll start at Colossians chapter 3, of verse 18, and that's page 984 in the Pew Bibles. Um, and just a testimony to uh, God's continued grace on us. Uh, we got a new case of Pew Bibles because we keep giving them away, uh, and we had some empty sp- spots and so uh, Mr. Aaron found a great deal through the New Hampshire Bible Society and we thought after we had ordered the Bibles I hope the page numbers match so I don't have to give out two different pages and bless the Lord they're exactly the same so how about that it's wonderful Um, well there is so much about putting on the love of Christ in chapter 3 that it spills over a little bit into chapter 4. Um, one chapter just wasn't enough to hold it all. So we're going to look at um, verses in two different chapters this morning. But first, let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we are so grateful for your love for us. We're so thankful for how you demonstrate that love for us in sending your son Jesus to die in our place. And you continue to share uh, your love for us, even in the little things. And we're thankful for that. We pray, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word now, that your spirit would speak to us. For these are your words. And we are your children, and we are eager to hear from you. Lord, we give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think as much fun as it might be to just jump in and lose half of you, I think that it would be best to remember the context of our text this morning so that it doesn't become a pretext. Um, Verse 12 of chapter 3 addresses those of us who have given our lives to Christ, those of us who have trusted him with our sin. And call upon him as Lord. We are chosen, holy, and beloved. 
These are the defining qualities of our identity now. He has chosen us. He has set us apart and he deeply and dearly loves us. And it's important for us to grab onto this truth because our behavior is born out of our grasp on our identity. We will act according to who we think we are. If we think that we are worthless, we'll act like we are worthless. Uh, If we think we are a king or a queen, then we will act like a king or a queen. If our identity is wrapped up in our stuff, in our belongings, then we will die to protect it. If our identity is defined by our work, then we will put our job before our family and before our friends and before our Lord. But if we recognize that our identity is now found in Jesus Christ, that we are his chosen, holy, and dearly loved, if we grasp that we matter to him, then how we think and how we speak and how we act will reflect that love and that belonging. It is because we are dearly loved that we are even able to love at all. 1 John 4.19 says we loved because he loved us first. The world has tried its very best to redefine what love is. But as we have discussed before, love is not about feelings or affection. It's not hearts and flowers. True love is consciously putting the good of another before our own. In a word, love in this way means submission, putting another before ourselves. What's funny is uh, going back over the archives, uh, almost exactly a year ago from today, I preached uh, on the parallel passage to what we're going to look at this morning, and that's in Ephesians chapter 5. You can look that up for your own personal study this week. But today we'll look at Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. Excuse me. I'm not putting it off. I know how it starts. <laughs> Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, if you've been with us over the course of uh, the time we've spent in chapter 3, you can see that when it comes to living a new life of love, the Lord leaves no stone unturned. He goes after it all. 
He is not at all limiting his concern about the behavior of his children to Sunday morning. We must allow our newness, our newness of life, our new life of love to manifest itself in every area of our life and every relationship that we have. The new way of love puts others first. And as you can see, that new way must also find its way into our homes, among our own families, and even into our workplace. So I want to look at these different roles and how they display the new way of love. We start at verse 18. Thank you for staying so far. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, that does not say, husbands, make your wives submit. It's, uh, so, husbands, you can keep your nudging elbows to yourself. <laughs> this passage, as I mentioned before, is one of the teachings in the New Testament on the household order, how our families are to be uh, organized in Christ, where Christ is supreme, head over all, and the husband plays the role of head of the household under Christ. And I also want to be very clear that submission, whether it's to a husband or to the Lord or to governing authorities or to anyone, is not about worth. It's not a matter of worth. Submission does not mean not equal. I want to be very clear about that. God did not arrange the household in this way because he thinks men are just better at everything than women. That's not it at all. Have you met my wife? It's living proof. That's not the way it is. Submission in no way means inferiority. It is simply the role designated by God within the household. But submission is not without limits. The phrase, as is fitting in the Lord, where it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, doesn't simply mean that the submission of a wife to her husband, her own husband, by the way, uh, it does not mean that submission itself is fitting, but that the moral limits of that submission come from the Lord. Uh, that is to say, a Christian husband cannot command his wife to violate God's commands. Okay? I, I would recommend a Christian husband not command his wife to do anything. Uh, there are better ways. But this, uh, this is not um, outside of, of God's moral standards. Wife, if your husband tells you to sin, you say no. Because command, uh, tell you to sin is not fitting in the Lord. Hmm. True biblical submission stays within the context of true biblical teaching and shouldn't stray from it. True biblical submission is a wife putting her husband before herself. That sound familiar? It's the definition of love. Put in another before yourself. Hmm. Well, let's close in prayer. <laughs> the beauty of this arrangement within the household is not one-sided. Wives, you just submit and everything's going to be all right. Yeah, thumbs up from the fellas. No. 
Look at verse 19. See, I said we want to keep it in context, to keep it from being a pretext. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians 5 takes it further. It says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now remember what the word love really means, right? It's husbands, be romantic and, and, and make sure that they feel warm and fuzzy all the time. Because that's what Christ did for a church, right? No, no, no. This is not a command for husbands to buy their wives flowers. Valentine's Day was invented by Hallmark and florists. It's not a command to take them out to dinner for the anniversary. A better translation might say, Husbands, consciously choose to put the needs of your wife before your own. Because after all, that's exactly how Christ loved the church. That's how we are to love. He gave his life up for us. And so, husbands, we also are to give our lives up for our wives. Husbands, let your leadership of your wives be the kind that consciously chooses to put their needs first. Know what those needs are. That's a good step. Know what those needs are. They don't just need you to work 100 hours a week to buy them a big house and a fancy car. They need you present with them. They need you engaged in your life together. Your job is not simply to fund it. It's to participate in it. Wives also don't need a dictator or a tyrant. The Greek word that is translated as do not be harsh um, originally meant um, don't be pointy, don't be sharp, don't be prickly. As one who is to put on a compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, there is no pointed edges there. We are to try and lead our households um, if, if we try to lead our household with a harsh and hateful and pointy and sharp spirit, that's just not right. That's not how Christ leads his church, is it? That's not the example he gives us. He is gentle and he is attentive to our needs. That is what a husband, uh, that is what it is for a husband to love his wife. Now we can really have fun. Children, obey your parents. Amen. For this pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Now I want to be clear that this is not applicable to adult children. Um, but children that are still within the household. Um, we can still, as adults, honor our mothers and fathers. Um, even though we are grown up, but we are not necessarily commanded to obey them. Sometimes wisdom says you do what they say because they are wiser than you. Um, my dad might still tell me some things that are better ideas than what I'm currently doing or how I'm doing something. But uh, my responsibility is not necessarily to obey him, but to honor him. So for kids living within a household, so... Um, Kids, are you still here? Little kids. This one is for you, children. Um, and it doesn't really need a whole lot of explanation. 
Obeying your parents is one way that you can honor God even as a kid. You say, well, I can't preach, I can't play music, I can't do this, I'm just a little kid. But honoring your parents, obeying your parents is a way that you can worship the Lord. Now, obedience doesn't earn a child salvation, but rather in their loving submission to their own parents, they are worshiping the Lord. What a beautiful thing. Well, guys, we're back on the hook again. In verse 21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Uh, okay, don't provoke your children. This is easy, isn't it? I think, um, I think it's Ephesians 5 that says, don't, don't make your children angry. Some translations say, don't make your kids angry. Like, good luck. <laughs> our responsibility as parents is to train our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this is not an easy thing. It's not simple. In fact, raising kids feels a little bit more like a minefield, from my own experience. One wrong move, <laughs> kablooey. Uh Fortunately for us, we, we have tools. We can look at the original language and get a bl little bit better picture of what, um, what Paul meant here. The words in the original language lend themselves more to not just making our kids mad, because you'll never avoid that, but not embittering them by constantly agitating them with unreasonable demands. That's what Paul meant. Don't embitter them by constantly agitating them by being unreasonable in your demands. Kids can be easily discouraged if they're constantly made to feel like they don't measure up, if they're constantly and relentlessly picked at. Now, if as Christians we are supposed to love each other, to con consciously choose to put the needs of others before our own, how can we not do that for our kids? Embittering our children is not loving them. It's destroying them and destroying our relationship with them. Well, if we never discipline our children, we see in the world how well that works, right? They become entitled or feel entitled and grow up thinking that they can't ever do anything wrong because they never have before. Why start now? And everything is somebody else's fault. But on the other side, if we constantly pick at them and make them feel like they can't ever do anything right, they become discouraged and embittered. So somewhere in the middle, we must find a proper balance before it's too late because this window closes very quickly. I'd love to tell you exactly how that's done. As soon as I figure it out, I'll let you know. Um, we're all on a journey that way. Look at verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. 
you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, um, if you don't think that bond servants or slaves still exist, don't show up to work tomorrow and see how it goes. Uh, we can all, I think, identify with this or could at one point in our lives at least. It's not enough that we honor the Lord in our relationships with our friends and our families. We must also take this philosophy of newness of life and love to work. Most of us do now or did at one time Spend more than half your waking hours working a job. Um, And though our text says bond servants or slaves and masters, the principle is 100% applicable uh, to employees and employers. Um, This is our mission field, friends. You work a job, you rub elbows with people that don't come to church or don't go to church somewhere else, that don't know the Lord. We are all on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. And how we act while we're at work, how we work reflects that, reflects our relationship with the Lord. Now, like I said, if you bristle at the idea that you might be a slave, just quit showing up and see how it goes. In truth, everyone who works a job, everyone that has a job, is in essence selling themselves, selling their time, selling their effort to their, compl- their company or employer. That's how it works. This is, again, not a question of worth or value. Like if you were really worth a lot, people would be begging you and throwing money at your feet just to walk by. That's not it at all. It's not a question of worth or value of the individual, but how the individual as a Christian conducts themselves while serving their employer or how they deal with their employees if they have them. The Lord is concerned with both of those things. The key to a work ethic that is pleasing to the Lord is found in verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So when we work, we, you shouldn't just work hard when the bus is watching, right? I heard a story about um, <laughs> a man who hired some work done, and while he was there, the workers worked hard, got all kinds of things done, but when he left, then they just kind of lay around. And don't really get anything done. I'm sure you guys have never experienced that at work before. Um, This is just this one instance. Well, a fellow kept kept finding this out, that he would go back and nobody had been doing anything, but they'd all look like they were real busy when he was there. Well, just so happened the man had a glass eye. And so it irritated him. So one day he took it out and set it on a stump and left it there. And and then left, and he came back, and everybody had been working hard the whole time because his eye was on them. <laughs> At least they thought so. 
Until somebody snuck up behind it and put a hat over the top, and then they could hang around and do nothing again. This is not how we're supposed to work. This is not honoring the Lord. We can honor the, the Lord by, by pushing that button, pulling that lever to the best of our ability, right? From whatever it is that you do for work. I can only think of buttons and levers because that's all I ever did for work. Whatever it is that you do, you bring honor to the Lord by doing it as if you're working for him because his eye is on you. Right? Not just when the boss is watching. I have a lot of stories about bosses when you think you're working hard, but they don't. Uh, That's difficult. But we've got to put our whole heart into our work because it brings honor to the Lord. And our reward is our inheritance in God's eternal kingdom, not just in our paycheck. If your reward for your work is simply in your paycheck, I hope that you get a raise. But... It's just money, and it doesn't last. Our reward is our eternal inheritance. We're working for the Lord, not just for men. We ought to be the hardest working people around because we serve the Lord Christ, not just the company. And if you have been put in the position to have employees or have people working under you, you're supervising, treat those people justly and fairly. Treat them as as you would want to be treated by your own boss. Though we may all have different roles, whether at home or at work or within the church family, these roles are never assigned by God as a designation of worth. As verse 11 said back in chapter 3, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. And in all. Now, this past week, I was able to go away on a quarterly retreat. I go uh, to Alton Bay with several other pastors from our uh, from our state, and we had a discussion about the secret to contentment. What is the secret to contentment? Paul Paul wrote about that. He said, "I found the secret to contentment, and that is to understand." that whatever position we've been called to or put in, we've been put there by God. And when we understand he knows better than us, and he has assigned our station, and we are to be satisfied in him and what he has given us to do, then we can truly be content. So if he has called you to be a husband or a wife or a father or a child or a mother or an employee or a boss or retired or whatever... You have been given that station by God, and it is your opportunity to worship him by the attitude in which you take on as you do that work, as you participate in that relationship, whatever it happens to be. Because there is no distinction of worth in God's eyes. By faith in Christ, we are all his dearly loved children. He doesn't love me more than he loves you. He doesn't love you more than he loves me. He loves us all. He is simply instructing us on how to act like it here in this word. I hope this has been helpful to you. I hope that the Lord will speak to you. Let's pray. Father, it kind of feels to me like we've just come to a screeching halt here. But we can 
all identify with some of these roles, things that you have called us to and places that you've put us, whether it's relationships or jobs, whatever it is, Lord, we want to serve you. We want to worship you with our with our thoughts and our words and our deeds. I pray, Father, that you would inspire us to work as unto the Lord, whatever it is that our job might be, that we would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that we would willingly put the needs of others before our own, whether we're a husband, a wife, married or single, a kid, retired, whatever it happens to be. Lord, we want to live in a way that pleases you and brings glory and honor to your name. And we can only do it with your help. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.